Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tilford. We're still sat here doing a bulk recording on the 24th of the, uh, 24th of the Friday, I was going to say, 24th of March. We've been in here. Uh, future weeks. This is kind of like the, is it the hyperbolic time chamber <laughs> in Dragon, in Dragon Ball. Ball Z? I feel like we're training in that and we're going to come out like Vegeta and Trunks do. Yeah. Absolutely ripped, but the ripness comes from the amount of content we've done today. Hey, I tell you what, Trunks with the long hair is the best Trunks. Oh, he's unreal. I love it. I don't know why it's not piece. used more or referenced more. It's one of my favorite depictions of a character. Anyway, speaking of favorite depictions of characters, let's do um, prediction stuff for the future of The Last of Us HBO show. Right now, um, they, uh, sorry, they, being Neil Druckmann, Craig Mazin, um, and the people over at HBO, have largely said that season two is going to be split over at least two seasons. Um, the amount of material that is in The Last of Us Part Two, the video game, um, they want to split that up. So we should just talk about all the different things that that means, the things that we want to see from the show, um, and what that makes you think of. Also, full spoilers for The Last of Us Part Two, the video game. We don't know what they're going to change in the show. Um, but I think one of the most immediate talking points that comes from the idea of bisecting Part Two is what do you end that season on? Yeah. Um, a lot of people, obviously, the pop culture conversation around Last of Us Part Two is just when does Joel die? Do they do that in episode one? I don't think so. I don't think you actually kill him maybe until the end of two more seasons. I think Pedro Pascal is way too beloved. Um, and I don't think that you immediately switch over to hanging the show on Bella Ramsey. At the most, you'll kill him at the end of the next season. He won't die at the start of the season. I've seen this thinking a lot, right? Yeah. And I'm afraid to say, I think you guys are going to have your heart, hearts broken <laughs> at this because, like you said there, a lot of people keep saying, you know, Pedro Pascal's, he's too beloved to lose. Mm. Well, he's too bankable. He's too bankable yeah. to lose. I don't think anyone cares about that, who's mm. making the show. Right. I'm sure HBO, if they were truthful, would love to have Pedro <laughs> Pascal around for 10 seasons right, and milk right. this cash cow. But I don't... That's what I think they're doing by making it two seasons. I I just don't think... I think we'll still get a lot of Pedro Pascal. Joel is in the game so much mm. in terms of flashbacks and even introduction in, in the, the introduction hours, introductory hours. Sorry, mm. we've done so many of these. And by the end, you know, he's in The Last of Us Part Two a lot. And yeah, you risk pissing people off by killing him, but you risk you risk pissing people off by killing Ned Stark in Game of Thrones. You risk people. That was at the end of a season, though. It was, but it was the end of season one. Mm. You know what I mean? It was the mm. end of season one. Mm -hmm, What's mm -hmm. the difference between killing off Joel at the beginning of season two and killing off Ned Stark at the end of season one? That's my thinking of it. And huh. it's like, why would what we know about Neil Druckmann, what we know about Craig Mazin, why would they, in my opinion, suddenly say? 
oh, this is actually bankable, and rather than doing what we want to do as a story, we should keep it around because it's successful. I just don't see them operating on that level well, at all. Well, that's, that's one of the big things, right? Because the, the difference there of you kill, him, kill Ned Stark uh, slash Sean Bean at the end of Game of Thrones season one, you've just spent a season of, ti- of time with that character and it leads to him being beheaded. It was a big shocking moment and you immediately, you know, you have uh, Arya's reaction and you go to credits and, oh my God, come back for season two and we'll figure it out. In this one, if you do the, if you do have the same thing of you have the big wait until season two comes out, I think Bella Ramsey said 2025. Yeah. It's, it's way away. That is ages away now that I say that out loud. Um, you have that big long wait of people on the TV side, like my parents or whoever it is that are new people going, I can't wait to see what's happening with that character. And do they want to replicate the feeling of the start of Last of Us Part Two, where you kill that favorite character because it serves the story? Or do you want to, do they want to change that at all? Because Druckmann himself said they didn't expect it to be this volatile a reaction. Absolutely. So no, I wonder yeah. how much they are indebted to like, hey, gotcha, he's dead. Like, or do you delay that and do it later and flesh out all the Jackson stuff, flesh out the flashbacks, do more with the Ellie Joel dynamic? I think you can definitely, there's, there's ways to flesh it out, right? Mm. But I don't think if this is going to quickly adapt part two, and what I mean by that is mm. literally pick up where part two starts. I just don't think you can get around killing Joel that early. Killing Joel mm. is the inciting incident of that entire game, right? Like, I just don't think you can get away with that. What is mm. the story? What is the thrust of the story if you don't kill Joel? I'm not even saying in the first episode, maybe the end of the second episode, maybe even the start of the third episode, mm. but early. I think it needs to be early if you're adapting part two in that way and not mm. having some kind of new original story uh, that kind of takes us through the five-year time jump between part See, for one and part me, two. We talk about, uh, in the previous podcast, if you go check out the uh, season one conversation, we talked about the idea of the infected and, and doing more of them and maybe doing more with the tendrils and more with the spores and whatever. Maybe that's how you do that stuff because um, you have a whole chunk of time to fill in in terms of, like, you know, Ellie being ingratiated into all the, the Jackson youths and getting to know Dina and, like, um, what's the name of the uh, Asian guy? I forget the name of the dude. Uh, he is called He's Jesse. Jesse. Um, getting to know him and sort of flirting with him and having a bit of a back and forward kind of thing. And so he, well, I guess he's flirting with her a little bit um, and that whole thing. And I think that there's a little bit you can kind of do there or a lot you can do there in terms of like Ellie, who has never been around social circles before, who like we've seen the awkwardness of her getting to used to Joel and being a bit more hostile and be a bit, being a bit more um, volatile as a human, learning to trust and pushing everybody away and then letting more people in. You build it up to the devastation of finally losing someone at the end of the uh, the next season. And you get to do all your um, going out on missions and getting to do the her getting used to shooting and, and whatever. Um, that's your excuse to do the infected stuff with really good writing towards her and Dina and realizing, you know, who she wants to, how she wants to be. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of stuff they could do mm. for a full episode, for a full season of a show. That's the big stickler mm. I have. I think you could put more stuff before Joel dies, but if we're talking about what will make a satisfying season of, mm. of television, to me, that wouldn't be it because where's the villain? Like, what's the thrust? What's the theme? So, okay, so, well, if, if you flick it, if you flip it, sorry, and um, Joel dies right near the beginning, end of the first episode, maybe, let's say, yeah. and the inciting incident gets out the way, you now have a season of, you have a revenge kick for a TV show. Where is your split point? Uh, to How do you split that into two seasons? That's the question, right? Ah. That's what I'm really excited to see to see what they do because the natural endpoint for me mm. is Abby coming to the theater. I was just going to say it's that Elliot gunpoint. Yeah. That would make if you don't know what's coming, that would make an incredible cliffhanger. Yep. You would be returning after the fact <laughs> if you've seen the person who kills Joel suddenly have all your characters at gunpoint and probably and she's there and she's just shot 
uh, Jesse in the face mm-hmm. and she's going to shoot Tommy in the head. I think that's like a great way to end. Mm-hmm. But structurally, from a story standpoint, can you do that? Because I think what's a bigger risk than killing Joel in episode one or episode two is suddenly pivoting to a season three that follows Abby primarily. That was a big risk in the game, uh-huh. and it's an even bigger risk in a TV show, I think, because you are waiting week to week for that story, and you will be wanting to get back to Ellie. I think that's something, if they're thinking about viewers, they'll want to change more than they'll want to change the placement of oh, Joel's see, death, I think. I think that's their greatest strength, because one of the biggest issues people had with, like, who is this random new character who's coming in, killing someone that we've lived with as a, you know, like a, as a fandom for years and years and years? How is this random character have the power level to kill off this character out of nowhere? I would rather you spend almost an entire, I, would, I mean, I would take a season with Abby, but I think if, and then you reveal that actually she is connected, she was actually, like, the reason she's uh, jacked and big and turning her body into a weapon is because, surprise, surprise, her father was the surgeon that was about to save the world before he was killed by a, a monstrous man and then you tie it together and you get the oh my god reveal um i think that would affect ratings in a tv show because you couldn't just stick with abby um but i think they've proven they can do other character writing so well with bill and frank with henry and sam whatever so i think you have sizable portions of each episode be with abby in the stadium where you counter that where you have jackson over on one side and you have the stadium on the other um and you slowly build up you know that you you get you really love abby and you get what she fights for and then you reveal that the person she wants to kill is joel don't get me wrong go on I need that Abby stuff in the game. Mm. And the biggest question about adapting part two, I think, is how you structure it. Yeah. Like you said there, you'd love to see the stories happening happening parallel. You know, you'd have to build Abby up and then you kill Joel right at the end. That could be really cool. That mm. could be really impactful. That could make for a great season of t- television. <laughs> but then what do you do about the second part of The Last of Us part two story? Because that works in so much on not knowing what Abby's about. And it makes Ellie's actions uh, less, like, I don't know. I don't think you would follow Ellie's actions killing all of these characters that we know mm. if you didn't have that same drive as a viewer of wanting revenge. And I think that's Maybe. part of The Last of Us Part Two's biggest strength is that it puts you in Ellie Ellie's shoes and then Abby's shoes, and you're all in on supporting Ellie, mm. even as dark as she gets by going after revenge because you don't know anything about these guys, mm-hmm. and then making you feel like terrible for supporting Ellie because when you realize that these people are actually people and you know weren't as evil as yeah. they were, uh, or as they as you might have thought they were, that that to me is the entire point of that True. story. So. I love the idea that you just mentioned there, but it's it's a whole can of worms adapting part two because it's so structured like a video game. Yeah, it, yeah. it works because it is a video game because you're playing it because you're playing these characters. And how do you adapt that to a show? I don't know. Well, for me, it's like if they want to do more stuff with this the state of the world. For me, one of the I, I, for me, I love the wider philosophically challenging questions, or at least the conversations that make me think and. You know, bring in sort of wider thought processes in regards to, like Last of Us 2 examines this whole idea of hate being bred through uh, religion or being bred through sort of uh, militarism and like the idea of like carrying hate on in an apocalypse, even though it was something that was, or is something that is obviously very present in society. It's very human to hate something. Um, but in Last of Us Part Two, you see it through um, the Seraphites and you see it through the WLF. And it's like, you can make those parallels to like the modern day and be like, okay, the idea of like, armies and war and is that hate and the idea of like religious hate and don't do that and that's off limits and whatever and carrying all that forward and all those sort of um, lessons being carried forward for me there's so much great material there that you can flesh out that's, that frames the world itself and the alley um, the alley the abbey ellie stuff is in the
in the middle of that. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of grounding you can do there where you flesh out, um, and I'm forgetting the name of the leader of the WLF. Isaac. Isaac. You can flesh out Isaac's motives a lot more because he's barely in the game. Yeah. yeah and you only talk to him like once and then he, get, he holds you up at gunpoint near the end. Um, and you can flesh out all the stuff with Lev as well. Uh, for me, I want more of that. Um, I want the intersecting points to be further away because I want more original material that wasn't in the game. I'm kind of with you there. If they're going to mm. flesh out anything in part two, I don't necessarily want it to be the Jackson stuff. I don't want a season of Jackson, but mm. I want to know more about the Seraphites. I want to know more about the WLF and how yeah. they actually work because, like you said, I think there's so many interesting characters in part two that don't get enough screen time. I want to know more about Isaac and his relationship to Abby and her friends. I want to yes. know more about Abby's friends and, like, what are they about? What are they... Um, experienced as a group, we get a lot of eyes. Uh, we get a lot of Abby and Owen, which is mm. really great. But what about you know? What about Owen? Yeah, every <laughs> who even needs him? I like Owen. I like eh. Owen as a character. I think he's. I think he's important to the story. But blanket. Maybe though, yes. part two can make Owen more interesting for you. Establish that. Yeah, maybe a little bit more. I guess that's the thing. It's that whole because there's that. If we go back to it very quickly for something from season one during the massacre scene, there's a character with a ponytail with a pigtail running out of shot and um, very much silhouetted because they haven't cast anybody yet. If that's even meant to represent Abby, um, so it's going to be that whole thing of like, who do you cast for her? How do you show that uh, you know period of time where she's sort of transforming her body into a weapon? That's a whole other thing that I would love to do if you really paralleled El- Ellie and Abby um, per episode um, as a season rolled out. I always love the whole thing of. Um, Ellie internalizes and gets really thin and really gaunt and her wrists are so, so thin in Last of Us Part 2 because she has way more, she internalizes everything. It's way more mental struggle. Um, And she'll lash out and she definitely has the ability to do damage and and whatever else, but she is very much an internalizer in terms of how she's dealing with everything that happens with Joel. Whereas um, Abby is external and she turns it, literally turns her body into a weapon. There's a bit when she's talking to Owen um, about how much she can bench press now. Um, And I'm sure someone says, uh, like, what's it for or something like that? And it's like, she knows that when she ever encounters Joel again, she'll yeah. take his head off. And it's like, and I, I love that. Like I am, um, not to mention their name, but I had a very close friend who um, was once mugged on the street and then dedicated their life to just living in the gym until they were, again, a living weapon. And we never talked to them about it. And about Well, we obviously knew, we could assume why. And I always assumed that was because, hey, if that ever happens again, I'm, I need to have a fighting chance. And I kind of assumed that with Abby. I'm always, just, I like them as a parallel of different ways of dealing with, um, you know, the stresses of life kind of thing. Me too. Um, and so I kind of want to parallel them a bit more as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree. I ah. fully agree. Like, I think that is one of the biggest strengths of The Last of Us Part Two story. It's just how how do you structure that without taking away a little bit of a mystique? Mm. And how do you structure it without getting uh, people or viewers who don't know the story, how do you stop them being bored by True. constantly cutting to a new character who they don't know and they don't really or won't know the point of until something big happens. But they would care more because in the game when we switched to Abby, a lot of people would just shut off going, I don't want to care, I don't care. Yeah. She killed Joel. Yeah. Where it's the same as end of Civil War, um, MCU Civil War, um, Captain America Civil War, when um, Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man just says, I don't care, he killed my mom. Yeah. And it's just like, but you might care if you had a, a whole season dedicated to that character. It's true. And you revealed later why he was sent on that mission or something. So I, um, I just wonder because a lot of people were shut off to Abby stuff because of how visceral that whole scene was. And if you invert the order a little bit and reveal her mission after. Maybe you can make that more palatable in terms of the questions it's supposed to raise about why people hate and why people follow through on things and whatever. I just feel like, for me, there's always so much potential with The Last of Us to be this wider think piece on human behavior. And that's what I would want it to be. That's what I always took away from the games. Mm. Um, And especially towards the end of part two of the game, um, depictions of human violence, like that up close, that visceral, biting fingers off and tearing someone apart. It's horrible, and it should be. 
And I think that I, I want to pick apart every facet of how we get there. Yeah. So, like, I kind of hope they really take their time with it. Yeah, me too. I fully agree with everything you just said. <laughs> that's, uh, that would, I mean, that's what I take away from the last post party. I'll get a t shirt well, that man. says, Keep Joel alive. <laughs> well, well. For five more seasons. Well, he's where I would disagree in the structure of that story, <laughs> Scott Taylor, because I don't think you do that while Joel is alive. Mm. I, I think you still. Parallel Elliot, if you're going to do that, Parallel Elliot and Abby story, but I think it still has to be after Joel's death mm. because otherwise, what do you do after that? Then you end season two with Joel's death, for instance, say you've seen all this Abby stuff. Then do you go on the hunt for Abby afterwards? Like, I don't know where you get the drama from necessarily there because mm. both the characters, or I mean, the audience is on the same page as the characters. They fully understand this conflict. And when does that conflict become a little bit rote? Where does the drama come from? In well, that it should come from sense. the threat. I mean, if, we, if, we, if we're paralleling it with Walking Dead, they had a lot of filler. I know they want to avoid filler, but they had a lot of just spending time with those characters in that environment. And it was it was just the wider world threat that was the the propulsive thing. It was like, well, you can't go outside because there's infected over there and you can't do whatever. So I, I kind of wonder how much they lean on that. And you get life in Jackson. You get life on going on patrols. You get the reality of what it's like to live in this apocalypse mm. um, on, on both sides. Because um, you've got all the Jackson stuff and the fields of infected around there. And then you have the stadium and the WLF and the, Ser- WLF and the Seraphites on Abby's side. So for me, there's still a lot of different things you can do there yeah. before you reveal that actually they are specifically tied and it's Joel. Yeah. Like, uh, for me, there's way more you can do there that would be more compelling in itself before you actually bring those worlds together and you leave that season with people going, I actually don't know who I want to win that fight. Right. And then you do all yeah, the Ellie yeah. Abby stuff and then you bring it all together. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm long-term planning five seasons of Walking Dead mentality. You so. absolutely are. And I'm going to interrogate this a little bit more because it's not <laughs> how I would do it. Yeah. It's absolutely not how I would do it, but I find it interesting. In this situation, what is Joel's arc for this season? Uh, and do you do you use this, the flashbacks that you would get later on mm. in part two story in this part of the season? Because I think, for me, if they implement those flashbacks earlier than they use in the game, mm. that's almost sacrilegious. I think you open on those flashbacks because oh. they'll have shot them uh, now anyway because you need to match the age of Bella because it's not before we get a little bit older for her to be... It depends, I guess what they're going to do for the look of Ellie, but in theory, you would open the new season on the flashbacks. And if you're talking about Joel specifically, it's him living with the lie and knowing that it's an easy lie to prove wrong. You double down on the conversations between him and Tommy and you double down on uh, the sadness he carries with him because he's lied to the one person that he needs to protect. Oh my God. You, That's, you, uh, you completely lay his character wide open. Right. Um, you go, here's the flashback, here's why he did it. And then you almost, you can cut to his new face uh, in Jackson, living with that reality where he's constructed a lie and he's stuck with it. What I love about Last of Us Part Two's story is that it's one of the best um, depictions of grief mm. I've ever seen in my entire life. Right. And playing it through again and watching Ellie go to Joel's house after he's died and go through his things and have this lingering sense that things didn't have to go this way, but also live with the lack of potential that she could have had with Mm. Joel and live with the constant memories and final memories that she had with him. To me, that's so powerful. And to Mm. me, you only get that sense of loss and longing through the flashbacks being used sparingly after he's gone. Like, to me... Well, I guess in my reality, it's flashbacks at the start of the season, a whole season of Ellie and Abby, and then Joel dies, and you still get to do all that stuff. No, but you don't, in my opinion, Mm. not in terms of the the grief that you feel, because it's it's seeing that stuff after he's gone, Mm. in, in remembering those times that you had with someone, that's, it's it's where they use for me that makes that stuff so effective, and it's the flash that Ellie has 
just before she kind of like tries to finish off Abby when she has that final conversation with Joel and you get that great interaction where he says like, you know, I'm ready. And she says, I'm willing to try to forgive you. And he kind of breaks down and he goes like, I'd like that. Like that that to me is the apex of that entire story. If you got that any earlier than you did in that story for me. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant the museum flashbacks. Oh, I mean all of them. Right. Every every flashback that she has in that game. So I think of like young Ellie as museum Ellie, Here's the tape recording of the space sounds yes. as what you would open the season on as a reminder of season one. Right. But when she's older in that scene on the porch, that's like older Ellie. That's that's taller Ellie. It's taller <laughs> Ellie, like sure. Later on. Yeah, yeah. But still, technically a flashback in terms of when it's presented. Like yes. You don't yes, see yes, it at yes. the start of the game. Yeah. To me, all of that stuff just it 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 works to explore that kind of element of grief and the the heart wrenching reality that their relationship was quote-unquote wasted for five years when they weren't talking mm. and they were they couldn't get over this lie and then the future of their relationship was in Ellie's eyes in our eyes robbed from them in like just having that constantly playing in your head after mm. he's gone mm-hmm. to me makes that story more effective and to me is the heart of that story so that's why although I really love the idea you've pitched to mm-hmm. use those flashbacks at the start I'm like it's kind of no, like well, not all of them, just the museum one. Just literally, just the museum. Yeah, one. yeah. yeah. I just, I just want to bring. I want to introduce. It's, it's 2025. It's been a two years, three years, whatever since Last of Us One was on TV. And um, the show starts, and we're right back where we were. We remember Joel and Ellie. They're hanging out together. They are where we left them in terms of the the pair of them, I guess. Um, well, I guess slightly before the lie when they were good together, um, doing one of those flashbacks, which I guess does take place after Jackson in the game. Yeah. So whatever, at the height of their relationship, anyway. Um, you just have that. You get to, you get to have that scene because you need to directly parallel it with the reality that Joel is living in. And if you're doing this version of Joel that is more uh, obviously acted by Pedro, is more openly, um, you know, aware of his sort of emotions and everything, wears them on his sleeve and everything. And um, which is how the game version gets there. But at the beginning of Last of Us Two, he's still hard edged Joel. He's still talking to Tommy as if like I don't regret anything and I would do whatever. Like I still think there's a way to parallel uh, the museum stuff with the lie he lives in. Um, and like the version of Joel that's inside his own house versus the version that he, when he goes out the door and he's with Ellie again and trying to make the most of that relationship through a lie. So would you build that out? Would you literally start timeline-wise with that museum scene and then build up to the start of The Last of Us Part Two? Just because otherwise you would... I don't know where the parallel would come from necessarily because at the end of that museum sequence, mm-hmm. it's kind of tarnished because then she sees the fireflies thing and she asks Joel. You could again. always go back to that thing across a few episodes, I guess. But yeah. I, just, I mean, in terms of something that he clearly remembers as being like one of the heights of their relationship, because it's always up for grabs. Whether in part two is he is that is that him actively remembering it? Is that why we're playing that, or is that just for the audience? Like, there's always that thing of what what those scenes serve. Obviously, they're yeah, fundamental totally. to the audience. Um, but he could you could also argue he's just rem- happens to be thinking of that anyway. Fascinating interpretation of that scene, though. Because Off. you see it as the height of their relationship. One and, of. And I absolutely do not. Like, the, the bit where they're in the museum mm-hmm. and the bit where they're actually nice to each other and they're in the, the, the what would you even call it, spaceship. Yeah. They're in the rocket That's thing. what I'm pulling from. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, that is lovely. But to me, that scene is so powerful because it's then tarnished by the fact that it ends with them, you know, confronting the elephant in the room again. And yeah, because it's always there. And it's always there. And Ellie sees the firefly thing. And Joel's like, oh, we're going to go through this again mm-hmm. or whatever. And to me, that's why that scene works so well because it's it's the height of their relationship, but it's a reminder that it's built on a lie. You still. could easily do that from Joel's point of view and then Ellie's point. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Have you? You right. can do Joel's version of that day out being a lovely little day out where they put a, a hat on a dinosaur and it was brilliant. And it was brilliant for the two of them in that moment. Yeah. The spaceship thing and everything. Um, and his memory of that day ends at that point. And then maybe later in the season or whatever else, you do the, no, there was, the, the, we bring it back mm. from Ellie's point of view. And no, 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 it was all, I was always wanting to know the truth here. I was always chasing this down. Yeah. Um, I was never okay with this lie um, cool. versus him. Like it's, it's, there was, it's going to be the back and forth with him, which is his in, inner turmoil because he knows he did wrong. Um, and he knows that he shouldn't have, um, have done that stuff. And so, yeah, like his redemption is, is tied into that and his internal sort of uh, way of struggling through that stuff or way of processing it. Of like going like, did I do the right thing? Did I not? Interesting word that redemption. And I, I love know. that Joel gets no redemption. So the word redemption. Yeah, <laughs> Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> the Good deadest. title, huh? But um, yeah, for me, there's just so much you can do with those characters, and I think that if uh, I'm only all this only comes from the idea of forcing it to split into two seasons, and what's one of the most shocking things you can do to end the season on, or um, what is something that lets them maintain Pedro and Bella as this twin, like I said, treasure in regards to uh, interviews, but also in terms of the faces of The Last of Us. Do you? immediately get rid of that when we've now when we're going to be waiting two more years for them to come back only yeah. for Joel to disappear again and do we just get the whole Last of Us part two? Oh my god I can't believe you squandered this character stuff all over again I never get the squandered the character thing because no. Joel is in the Last of Us part two so many times like we've just talked there about like the flashbacks and stuff and yeah he's not alive but he's an integral part of that game it's obviously Ellie's game it's obviously Ellie's perspective but like the best parts of that game are often when Joel is there, whether it's a flashback, whether it's alive or not. I think, going back to the killing thing again, I think you still have... 
I'm not saying I think he's squandered, no. but I think there is a there is a definitely a wing of people who are just like, oh my god, I wanted more Joel. Totally, of course, and I get it. I want more Joel, Same. but I think the story's better without him because I want more Joel as a concept is like the point of Ellie's frustration in that game. Ellie wants more Joel. We want more Joel. But you <laughs> yeah, don't have to guess. supposed to feel like that. Yeah, totally. And that's why it's a great depiction of grief because mm-hmm. you don't get the time that you want with the people that you love. It's always too short. If someone lives to 105 years old, it's going to feel too short. And yeah. I think this is a great exploration of that because Joel really is taken early. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing that I kind of want them to keep because I think they can still have Pedro Pascal as the mascot for this show because he's not going to disappear, in my opinion. No. He's going to be in there until he dies. He's going to be back multiple times as the show goes on, and Mm -hmm. he's going to still be able to give those interviews. He's still going to be able to develop that character within those flashbacks, and I just don't see it as a a, a cut-and-dry cut-off of, Mm -hmm. well, this guy's gone now. We're never going to talk about him again. He's such a great part in death mm-hmm. <laughs> to play. <laughs> so I would, I would bring it back. Yeah, because I get all of that came from the idea of making the end. Because if we, for now, if we take Last of Us Part 2 as being two seasons, then that split point, uh, to me, being the death of Joel at the end of the season two, part one, or whatever the hell we want to call it, um, would your split point still be Abby infiltrates the theatre? And do they fight each other? Do they have that bit? Or do they... Is it the, f- the first time when she comes in and you just get to see her with the gun? Yeah. Cut to black? I think literally the gun, I think sh- the gun shoots Jesse in the face and then she points it mm. at Ellie. She's got Tommy there. I think that's the cliffhanger for me. And then you could even open the next season of her shooting Tommy in the head. You know, <laughs> it's like bang. And then we kind of see what happens see, uh, with her. For a season rollout, like that works in, in the game because um, you have somebody infected to kill. You have somebody, it's like levels. You're going through the levels. Like it, it's just, it's, it's a quite, it's a truncated motivation. It's just, a, it's a revenge kick. And then yeah. it's like, it, it gets more complex as like after the sort of, I don't know, 10 hour, 15 hour mark where you do get more insight into the Seraphites, the WLF, uh, whatever. And you get to like flesh out more of that world and everything. And obviously Abby's side of things really flashes it out. If you're just sticking with Ellie, um, maybe you're not necessarily, but like it's like, yeah, what what, is, what does that season look like for season two? Um, is it just, is Ellie killing people every week? Is it like, you know, is she, are we, are we just seeing her be just butchering people every week kind of thing? I think a little bit, but I, I think that, if, if I may, maybe a reductive view of the first part of The Last of Us Almost part two, just because it's not just Ellie on her own. Like, no. she's, like she's going out on missions on her own, of course, but she has that. Yeah, that was me defaulting to that because of the fact that you play as Ellie. No, of course. Totally. Like, she has, like, cast of characters around her that I still think can get a lot of drama Mm. for. Like I said, I don't even know if I personally would kill or want Joel to be killed in the first Mm. um, episode. Like, I think you can maybe even push that to episode two, episode early episode three, and have the rest of episode three be out in Seattle. But I think you've got a couple episodes in Jackson. You've got Joel's death. You've got Ellie's response to that death. You've got Tommy's response to that death. Mm. You've got them setting off. You've got all the stuff with Dina that you need to establish, Jesse, etc. Then you've got them going out to Seattle, Ellie and Dina kind of making their first kills almost, yeah. hot on the trail, following Tommy. Uh, you've got the stuff with Nora inf- infiltrating the... Um, uh, hospital. Then you got the flashbacks that I would pepper into that first part of the season as well with Joel. That's obviously very important. And then I would end it on the cliffhanger where um, 
Ellie has finally come face to face with Abby after bloody killing all of her friends. I think it is just like one of those big revenge kicks mm. and you get the questions of who are the WLF really? What are the Seraphites? Why is Ellie fighting all these, these mm. people? What does Jesse think? What does Dina think? How do we protect Dina? Because she's pregnant. Uh, she's sick, you know, or mm. whatever. I think there's a lot in there to, in my opinion, justify a full season of television. And then you could even, if you want, throw in some Abby stuff mm. here and there mm -hmm. because we do see Abby in the very first part of The Last of Us Part 1. Obviously, we play as her. So I don't, I'm don't. i not totally against them peppering in anything about Abby throughout that first part of the season. I just wouldn't reveal everything. Well, that's kind of the thing. It's like, it depends how, yeah, how well they want to pepper Abby in. And the biggest question around all of this is, who the living hell is going to play Abby? Um, the idea of casting someone who could be the version that is in the flashbacks and then also jack the F up for the version of Abby that we know and love in the um, Last of Us 2's main timeline. Um, I don't have any actors off the top of my head, but I just hope they go full jack. Yes. I want uh, full jack city. Full jack city. Yes. I think, you know, it's it's, it's almost going to be like a thankless task for whoever <laughs> gets this role because it's a great role. It Give it to Laura Bailey. If you were an actor, ah, Laura she Bailey. She work, work out work outloads. Unfortunately, awesome. Laura Bailey is, is, is uncredited nurse number two in The Last of Us Part 1's <laughs> finale. Maybe she, she got left alive. Yeah. She Joel did. did not care about those nurses. I think she'll have a little bit of a bigger role in season two, Laura <laughs> Bailey. At least I hope. Please I hope give so, her a yeah. bit of a bigger role. No, I was like I was saying, you know, I think if the actor playing this role, it's a great role, it's a juicy role, but it's going to come with the idea that you're going to get so much hate mm. online. And it makes me think, who is almost impervious to hate? Who is so much of a celebrity and so beloved that the hate would just bounce off them. Okay. And I think the answer is Florence Pugh. No one can hate. <laughs> She'd be phenomenal. No one can hate Florence Pugh. You're not wrong. I don't know if they'd get it. Maybe she's a bit too old uh, in comparison to Bella Ramsey's age. I don't know. But um, I've seen that name do the rounds she's now a great and again. Pick. And I think she could do it. She she's got she could be because coming off Midsummer, like another another. It's the only movie where she shows like more aggression or more of like that sort of edge of like I am digging deep because I need to get on with stuff. I feel like um, oh my god, Florence Pugh jacked up Florence Pugh. That yeah, could be man. great. Yeah, I don't know if she if uh, she have to wear some sort of muscle suit to get actual. I didn't have to actually be Abby sized like game sized Abby is is a walking tank. Yes, which is definitely what I want. Um, because like I said earlier, I want that whole thing about her making her body into a weapon, which I just think is like is awesome. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that whole idea of like a lot of the, I, I, there's a lot of stuff here that I'm just like, are they going to try and massage the reaction this time because they knew what it was like? Or is it is it just part and parcel of what Last of Us Part 2 is to have that visceral reaction to those plot points? I think it is. I really yeah. do think it is. Like you can make another version of The Last of Us Part 2, but with Neil Druckmann so involved, why would he? He'd mm. almost be conceding quote unquote defeat if he, <laughs> if he did cave to like the demands for part two to be more palatable. Mm. It's the story you wanted to tell. And I, obviously it will deviate in some areas. Some things will be radically different. I mean, mm. just look at how different Bill and Frank were in the show yeah. compared to the thing. Mm. There's going to be big changes. It's not going to be one for one, mm. but I think the core of it and the core parts of it will remain the same because Neil Druckmann is there and he obviously believes in the story. And in my opinion, rightly so, it's a really oh, good same. story. The reason I love part two it's not that I just love things that are divisive for the sake of divisiveness, mm -hmm. but I mean, 
I love the fact that it's inspired debate and the good faith debate surrounding that game is is fascinating to me as the debate around part one's mm. ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where I still want them to stay true to the uh, the propellant of that story. I'm just like what we talked about loads before. I'm just curious about where they put that in and, and does the the fact that you have a major TV star and a major and a huge show on your hands that has uh, I think it was according to like the Nielsen ratings or something has uh, has largely taken the Walking Dead's demographic. Like yeah. just has that audience um in tow and and how many of them know what's coming and and is it like that weird sort of cynical big corporate brain thing of how much do you actually space this out because we can make a lot more money if we just do a bunch more seasons it's funny right but i would argue that if that was going to happen anywhere it would happen in the video game realm <laughs> the video game Last realm part three? the video game industry is way more kind of desperate for franchises and IP than I think mm. the TV realm Especially in Sony right now, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like, it was a bigger risk, in my opinion, to kill Joel and have The Last of Us 2 do what it did in the video game space than it would be in the TV space. Mm. Because, you know, you mentioned at the start of this podcast that, you know, it's a big risk to kill off Joel after two years of wait for a TV audience. It absolutely is. What's a bigger risk is to kill off Joel after seven years for a video <laughs> game audience. And True. they did that then. That's the only reason why I don't think they would um, change that part of it because yeah there are money factors to consider there is HBO mm. but I think the beauty of being on HBO is that they've always encouraged those kinds of risks and True. it's it's in my opinion it is genuinely less of a risk to do it on telly than it's it is to do it in the game yeah, it's not that I don't think he's going to die or anything. I'm just, I'm just curious. There was, there was so much fallout from Last of Us Part Two. There's that really great interview over on Kind of Funny where uh, Greg Miller's talking to Neil Druckmann and Troy Baker. I think Kelly Gross is part of that too, um, where they are just talking about the reality of being Naughty Dog and, and being those creators in that situation and the sheer amount of backlash that they got. It just makes me wonder if you're having another go around, like um, you know, if you were going to remake the game in 30 years time or something. Having been through that, do you tweak certain parts of it? Do you try? Do you try and mitigate the uh, the potential backlash? Do you the, the key components still land? But is there just a different way they go into it? A different approach to the pacing, like things yeah. that we mentioned in terms of the characters dying at different points and stuff like that. Don't necessarily want that. I'm just curious. If you're, uh, I'm always curious about the the human reality of a creator like Druckmann, who is responsible for such a massive, massive beloved entity, partly responsible for it. Um, like I said, when it comes back around again, it's like, would I change it? Would I do something? different in a way in a way he's joel yeah and he's, he's committed to the bit kind of man yeah. i mean like i i i know i do not doubt the fact that that those questions are probably going mm. through his mind and especially craig mason's mind who's who's adapting it or essentially like the creative sitting there playing centipede on his little uh, <laughs> arcade in the corner yeah. the creative spearhead of that adaptation process but i guess it would be why would you change it and for what reasons is it because you believe in this new version of the story uh, that you kind of come up with in the years since and you would have if you could have gone back in time, rearranged it that way? Or are you doing it to try and make something that's more liked? Because I think if Mm. I knock the question over to you, Scott Tilford, Mm -hmm. if you were in Neil Druckmann's shoes and you had a piece of art that you believed in Mm. but wasn't uh, well received by everyone, wasn't as liked as something else as you made... I don't think you, as a creative force and a very as a man I respect a lot, would change anything just because some of the people didn't like it. If you didn't believe in those changes, no, I think it. De- I think it depends. I think if it was, I think it just depends what they're trying to get across. If it's a painting that someone didn't like, I'd be like, well, I'm not changing a single brushstroke of it. If it was the core sentiment of something that was harder to grasp, but I believe in that core sentiment, maybe there's a different way to frame it. Maybe there's a way to go into that a little bit differently. Um, I'm yeah, I'm just curious. Like, I think it's an interesting. We never get this. We never. 
never get a story that is so celebrated and cherished in a video game space that has years and years of fandom having the second go around in a celebrated already, I don't know if it's award winning yet, but it probably will be award winning TV show. So when we come back around to the most contentious part of it, I'm just curious of the various ways that they go into that. Because if the core sentiment is Ellie is motivated by a love of Joel and, and a, a fractured relationship that was slowly piecing herself back together, then why not delay the death and focus on the fractured relationship to make it a bigger deal that it's robbed from her when it had more momentum to it? We get that at the end of the game because they give you the flashback and it like re, you know it uh, it almost reckons the the way the, the reason she was so angry about everything. It's not just the death of him. It's it's you you rob this potential of a father figure from me again. Yes, and so there's almost a way to shuffle those things around a little bit holistically. And, and maybe do that in a different way. Absolutely. No, there are other costs. There's other ways you can tell this story. I guess it's mm. just what do you prioritize from the story? Because mm. if you did that, which would still make for a great season of television, mm. I wonder then would it rob a mystique from the next season? Because another True. thing I love about part two is that you don't know that Ellie knows for the bulk of it. And when you find out that she did get the confession from Joel, it kind of changes your thoughts on her mm. actions because you're kind of playing through initially and killing these people wondering, well, is she going to regret this when mm. she finds out that, you know, what Joel did, will she understand? Mm. But then to retroactively know that, oh no, she knew all the t- all along and she's doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a, another element that I would love to see adapted into the show because it's such a big part of it. Oh, same. Character. I remember people saying that they thought the game broke at that scene because it was like, well, you knew that they were okay again, so it, she wasn't robbed of anything. And it's like, no, if anything, it was another process of grief. It was the anger. It was like, whatever. There's always different ways to come at that stuff. Um, overall, though, um, we've got a long time to wait before season two. It's another two years away. Um, so we'll revisit it going forward. Uh, we'll see what other different talking points happen as more details uh, reveal themselves. For now, this has been the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Telford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.